One of the very many ways that we pick up on which AI topics are sort of making their way into the enterprise or gaining traction here at Emerge AI Research is we look in our inbox. A lot of the time, the folks who raise money and who are ready to go out and attack a market are going to end up emailing us first. When it comes to sort of advertising and reaching an AI-focused executive audience, companies that feel like they have something that's worthwhile, they've had some pilots that are successful, will often reach out to us. And sometimes we can look at trends across a three-month period and see what sectors are swelling compared to what they were three months ago. And it's curious to see just how much more there is of sensor tech and Internet of Things than there was, let's say, 18 months ago. We rarely saw any of that in terms of companies that had real traction in the enterprise. Now we're seeing more and more firms actually get there. And so I decided, let's try to find some interviews where we can cover the possibilities of AI and IoT at a high level and let people kind of see where the opportunity would be for AI and IoT to drive value in their own company. And so for that reason, we have on Cormac Driver. He's the head of product engineering at a company called Tembu in New York City. They're an AI and IoT firm. He's got a PhD from the University of York in Dublin, and you can tell that from his excellent accent. And in this episode, we dive into a number of topics related AI and IoT. First, we talk about sort of how to spot AI and IoT opportunity. Where can sensors, where can equipment in the physical world actually deliver value to an enterprise? In theory, it could be anywhere where there's physical stuff. But in reality, how do we think through this in a way where we look for opportunity first? And Cormac has kind of some interesting frames for doing that. Then we talk about how to get the most out of an IoT project, sort of what's involved in terms of data, in terms of infrastructure. And lastly, when we wrap up the episode, I ask Cormac, what sector, what kind of business he thinks is really going to embrace AI and IoT first? What is going to be the sector where this becomes an absolute norm? It becomes a business standard for driving value within the enterprise. And he lays out sort of if he was a betting man, uh, the sector and the kind of business that he thinks is going to adopt AI and IoT most fervently. Um, and I kind of push him on that idea and kind of talk back and forth a little bit, but he's got an interesting theory as to why, and I think people will be interested to hear that. Uh, no matter what sector you're in, I think that perspective is going to be useful. If you have any physical anything out in the world, sort of who's adopting first is always a nice leading indicator of what the use cases and possibilities might be. So if you're interested in more IoT-related topics, we've done a lot of actually very interesting interviews last year on this topic, as well as editorial coverage. If you're on Emerge.com, that's E-M-E-R-J.com, type in IoT into the search and check out the rest of the coverage that we've done in this space. You'll probably be able to find this episode with Cormac there as well. So uh, this is Cormac Driver with Tembu. I am your host, Dan Fagella, here on the AI and Industry Podcast. And without further ado, let's roll right in. So Cormac, I wanted to get us off the ground here and for the audience's sake as well about kind of the commonalities of places where AI and IoT can come together to create value. I think there's this light understanding in the business world that if we have a lot of physical stuff that can send us signals, uh, there's some times where we can optimize what those physical things do or keep them from breaking down where that could deliver value. But you folks work across biotech, manufacturing, a lot of other sectors. How do you describe the, the common kind of web of factors that, that make IoT potentially valuable? Yeah, absolutely. So it, it is a very interesting space in that regard because at the very base level, you're getting down into layer one, which is the embedded computing side, the physical computing side, and you're trying to extract 
data that has always existed invisibly in our world. So using you know, emerging low-cost sensor technologies to get data out of the physical world and into a digital format that is useful to any given application. So you know, a temperature sensor is not a industry-specific sensor. Nope. That's pretty, pretty obvious. And so at that level, there's a ton of problems to solve. And there's a ton of value that companies in the IoT space like ourselves can add there and they are absolutely not industry specific. So what sensor to pick, what wireless technology or wired technology, but typically wireless, are you using to transmit that sensor data to the internet? What's the topology of that network? Is it you know, an edge to a gateway to the cloud? Is it edge directly to cloud? Is it a mesh network? There's a ton of just challenges and questions to answer there, and they're common across effectively any application. Once you start getting up the technology stack and getting closer to the actual user, that's where you start seeing differences. But even still, if we just skip a whole bunch of stuff and get right to the AI side and we stick with our temperature sensor, you have some time series data, right? And you know, there's a bunch of AI techniques that you can apply to that. Let's say we want to do two things. We want to do anomaly detection and we want to do prediction of the, if we want to you know, take the next hour, the next day, the next week of that temperature sensor, the underlying AI techniques that you'll use to do that, again, are not industry specific, but what you will actually do with that data is very, very much industry and application specific. So we take two very different examples. One that's kind of close to our own hearts here at Tembu, which is on the predictive maintenance side, and one that I was just reading about earlier this week, a project that DeepMind at Google were working on, you know, on one hand, you have predictive maintenance, and I'm sure we'll talk more about that, yep. where if there's factors that you know in your daily operations that can cause machines to go down and ultimately have negative results on your business, you want to know if they are going to occur, and you want to send in maintenance personnel as necessary. And we'll, we'll probably get back to that. Yep. On the other hand, that DeepMind example that I mentioned, I, I don't know if you saw this, they did this really cool thing where... Google own a bunch of wind farms and they produce electricity, which they sell to the grid. And if you can guarantee the grid at a certain minimum at a certain time, then you can sell your energy for more money. And what they were able to do was take that data and basically predict how much energy they would produce in the future. They're effectively predicting the wind. And they were able to do it to a level of accuracy such that they could provide those guarantees to the grid and thereby overnight, as soon as they turn on the model, increase the value of the wind by 20%. So they're generating 20% more revenue from the same wind just by the application of this model, which again was trained on this time series sensor data. So there, there are two extremely different examples, which would ultimately be using the same tech stack, tools, frameworks, approaches to AI across the board. Yeah, and, and so, uh, you know, as you'd mentioned, I can imagine something like, you know, that, that wind example. There's a lot more than temperature probably going on there. There's RPMs yeah, or whatever absolutely. those blades yep. are. There's, there's, mm -hmm. There probably is temperature to some degree, I would imagine, that, that might matter somewhere there. Other kinds of kind of telemetry information about, if it had to do with predictive maintenance, maybe there'd be vibration detection or, or something along those lines. In both cases, we've got physical stuff out there in the world that maybe could be operating more efficiently. It could be generating more electricity or it could be... It could be only working in the times where it's actually going to make money versus just running all the time. It could be prevented from breaking down. It almost makes you think like, oh, geez, well, I guess anytime I've got a lot of physical stuff, AI and IoT is like this combination that I could kind of think through applying. That's probably true to some degree, but there's probably some cases where you know the low-hanging fruit is, is much more low-hanging. It's much more true and legitimate in terms of a business use case than just 
everybody who's got physical stuff that exists out there. You know, how would you advise folks who are thinking through, you know, looking out into their own business and saying, okay, we have physical things. Is there value here? You know, what are, what is the ways of proving the is there value here question? Yeah, that's a really good question. And again, you can take kind of any number of use cases that we know about from recent times where people have applied IoT technology to physical things for different applications, and then you can kind of critically assess the value of those to the business. So if you look at you know people in the lawnmower industry who want to see how blades rotate against grass when the grass is at different levels of moisture, you know they can now embed little sensors in those motors and get that data out and analyze it. And, and that's great. Helps with product development, so on and so forth. So that, that's a cool thing that they couldn't do previously. And then on the flip side, take your generic textbook manufacturing company where they're turning raw materials into some finished product. And that's their whole business. And the machines that are turning those raw materials into physical products stop working. And the knock-on effects of that downtime, I think you can easily make the case that scenario B has a much greater need for IoT technology in the immediate term. Yeah, yeah. So there's, it sounds like, and I might be categorizing this incorrectly, but mentally this is sort of what's jumping out at me based on what you've said. There's kind of degree of business criticalness to which your physical stuff has to operate. So there's some people that might have some delivery trucks but honestly, they're mostly not delivering their own stuff. And you know, when they do, it's somewhat local. And the breakdowns are not actually something that hinders them. If they were a little bit more efficient on gasoline, it's, it's honestly not that meaningful versus a company where, you know, as you had said, if it's manufacturing, you know, a, a really good week versus a bad week in terms of efficiencies, and it might only be a difference of, I don't know, 7% on some, some scale of something or other is, is millions of dollars, you know, over and mm-hmm. over and over, then finding ways to repeat what efficiency looks like by improving that or, or prevent those breakdowns. Obviously, we have a higher degree of kind of business criticalness there, ROI, closeness to the core business. There's also probably some consideration here, Cormac, and, and tell me if this is so, where we have to think about the accessibility of the data, because there's probably some machinery, and I'd love if you had potentially some examples where we have a similar degree of business criticalness, but a, a different degree of how accessible the data is. Maybe a one set of machines is already instrumented to pick up on data and another is not. That's one situation. Or maybe just some equipment is harder to get telemetry data out of compared to some other equipment. Do you have potential examples of that? Because I, I, I would imagine that that's at least a reasonable consideration when we're thinking about implementing something like this. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, just to come back to what you were saying a moment ago about categorizing the, the two types of problems, I'm sure you've heard this vitamin versus painkiller analogy before. Yep. comes up quite commonly in startup circles when you're talking about products to build. That's very much how to think about it here. Yes, you can augment existing operations with IoT, but you can also solve real problems with it as well. And that's where we believe the real immediate value is. So yeah, back to your question. That's a really, really interesting question. And it's a large part why, you know, downtime is such a massive problem and will remain such a massive problem until these types of technologies are applied to it. You have a couple of aspects. One is if there is some level of digital technology already associated with the machine, that's great. So in a manufacturing context, that's typically a PLC. PLCs typically will spit out Modbus, which is you know great because it's well documented and common across most PLCs. Yeah, just, just to just to cut through the jargon here uh, for the folks that might be in let's say I don't know medical devices or yep. a sales profession, Modbus PLC. If you can just lay out the abbreviations. 
Yeah, absolutely. So a, a PLC is a programmable logic controller. And so yeah. it's effectively a small, ruggedized computer that is used to control some automation process in manufacturing. And Modbus is the language that those little computers speak. So they will give out their data in this uniform format that you can write programs on top of. So whenever we're working with machines in an industrial context or any other IoT company is doing the same thing, they'll be looking for this data in Modbus form. And that's that's kind of easy. That's a solved problem. Okay. I'm, I'm glossing over tons of hard parts of that, but essentially that's a solved problem. The machines that are less easy to work with are those that do not have that facility. So there's the thing with machines in industry is that they're designed to have very long lifetimes and they've been around for a long time. You have machines that Obviously, no one is documenting at all. They're either working or they're not working, and people don't necessarily know. I'll tell you one quick funny story about a site visit that I did a while ago, and we were talking about being able to instrument the backup air compressor. And the main goal of this application, in the early days at least, was just to know what state machines were in. And we asked, well, how do you know at the moment? And we were told that when the machine starts to smoke, you can smell it across the factory. And that's how we know the backup is kicked in. That's, that's a bad sensor right there. Yeah, that's, that's, that's yeah, an inefficient exactly. way of sensing so, things. Yeah. yeah, you know, there's plenty of machines that are instrumented with some digital technology that we can hook into already. Then you have machines with like actual pieces of paper beside them where some human operator is responsible for filling out the data. You can be quite sure that that data has never made its way into a format that an AI model can actually make any use out yeah. of it. So if you think of very traditional manufacturing and you think of the lifetime that those machines can have, that's some of the real reality on the ground. The best case is that you have some digital technology there already. But then what's great about both of those cases is with the advances in like miniaturization of sensors, low-cost microcontrollers, a whole plethora of wireless technologies and options. I ran over some of that stuff real quickly earlier in terms of the, the architectures that you can have. You can literally just stick sensors on existing equipment and not worry about whether huh. you know they have digital technology in there already or not. So a lot of what we do is retrofitting. And that's why you know the way we go about IoT is, is particularly interesting because we're not making you buy new machines or we're not making you have a machine that has a digital component already. We'll work with effectively any hardware, and quite frequently we choose to work with easy-to-apply hardware. Huh. And so let me just poke into this because I was actually going to ask when a vendor firm, you know, in this case you guys, goes into a factory and they're kind of making a decision, okay, can, can we deliver value for these people or not? There's situation A where these guys have state-of-the-art equipment and it has all the right sort of digital formats and, and pumps out the kind of information that we would hope that it would pump out which we can then train systems on. That's situation A. Situation B mm -hmm. is, okay, this stuff is all really old and we would have to find some custom tailored way to yank data out of this thing. We'd either need to replace some equipment with things that actually will, will give us a digital output or we need to stick sensors into places to get a digital output uh, and then train from there. The reason that the latter, all of these situations are, are tough because of how unique they are. You know, unless you do IoT for... 747s that all have the same engine, which would be really cool. It's hard to transfer things from factory A to factory B, right? Because the machinery is always different. What they're making is always different. The conditions are are generally, you know, quite, quite different. And, and so that, that does feel pretty challenging. But it feels even more challenging when you have to 
stick sensors on something, you know, with, with some good educated guesses, sure, some good educated guesses, but then presume that we can shake value out of that. There would probably be some degree of an on-ramp time for this retrofitting idea where we'd have to figure out, do we have sensor patterns that correlate to failure? Do we have sensor patterns that correlate to efficiency? Can we coax those out of where we just stuck these sensors? There's some like did we stick these on the right way kind of thing? And then there's also the issue of these things falling off or fading over time in terms of their their sensitivity and whatnot. I'm sure some of those technical problems are less intense than they were five, 10 years ago, but it feels hard. It feel, feels like they were, you know, I'm not saying it's impossible, but it, it feels like there's got to be an on-ramp time to say, did we stick these darn things on there in a way that's going to deliver value in terms of the data? What does that look like to make sure that this retrofitting can work? Because that seems challenging. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and you kind of, Hinted at this, we're very much in the early days of IoT. We are. And you, you, you said that I think five or ten years ago it was harder. That was definitely true. It's still hard. It's less hard than it was, and it will be far less hard in the next ten or twenty years. So it is important to keep in mind where we are. What it looks like is so a there, there's always a way. That's generally our our way of approaching things as a company. But b there's there's often an easier way than you thought when you first looked at the problem. So. You know, one one example that I really like is a industrial food manufacturer, so a you know multinational company in the the baked goods space, and all of the cakes that they make and other baked goods have to go through metal detectors because obviously you don't want any shards of metal in the food, and that you know they're obliged to do that for legal reasons, etc. So they have metal detectors on the machines, and the way the machines work is that they turn on little red lights whenever there's a safety event that they want to flag, but there's no digital aspect to that. You have to have people standing beside these things. And the way that one in particular was solved was you can just wire into the um, into the machine and sense, you know, is power being sent to the light? And if it is, that's an event and that's captured instead of worrying about light sensors. So that, that's my point here. You can usually abstract away and come up with a relatively straightforward way of getting data out of the system. And you know, just electricity in and of itself is usually a great way of telling how things are performing, whether things are on or off, et cetera. Vibration is extremely flexible. But to your other point, yeah, there's a lot of excitement about instrumenting machines. There's a lot of nervousness around sensors being stuck on machines. Yeah, so, I'm nervous and I'm not even spending money on it, but I'm, I'm just, I'm just, hanging out here on the outside doing market research and uh, which is much less complicated than sticking machines on 60 year old manufacturing equipment but uh i'm sure most of the time it's not that old but i'm sure some of the time it is and so it can yeah, be. Yep. as as you had said that can become challenging and there's got to be some kind of a ramp up to say are we picking up you know this old darn machine over here it's you know there this this set of let's say two dozen of these old old darn machines we can't replace them anytime soon can we coax patterns out of them that lead us to understand failure or optimization? There's probably different testing of different setups and different sensors and different ways to kind of get ourselves to that level. There's probably also some degree of maintenance and kind of quality assurance here where where we figure out if these sensors are all kind of working on some level. You know, if we're doing a big retrofitting project, probably, I don't know what that looks like. Is it like, you know, once a month, we got a guy with a clipboard walk around? I mean, because that that's a part that doesn't seem super AIable. Did the sensor fall off or not? I'm not really sure. Right. You know, what what is what does yeah. that often look like? Again, as part of that on-ramping for for retrofitting, which is a, a, a big challenge, but obviously a big opportunity. Yeah, well, the great thing about that, and that is a very real concern, as you said. So the, the product is obviously a software product at the intersection of hardware and software, 
but it's built you know not for software engineers it's built for people who are engineering minded so the way it works is that the people who are using our product and indeed any uh, iot system is involving visualizing sensor data and, and doing more with it than that are pretty smart people you know they're in in this case in an industrial manufacturing context or analytically minded they're very capable of doing that walk around that you mentioned and yeah. eyeballing the sensors and making sure that things are all right but what actually tends to happen in practice is that they'll notice if something is amiss via the data itself. So whether they're looking at the graphs or whether they get an alert to say there's an anomaly in the data, th- those issues will typically flesh themselves out pretty quickly. Okay, yeah, yeah. So you'll, you'll, you'll be looking at the dashboard and say, okay, th- that's not even possible. Something has to be happening exactly. with, the, with yeah. the sensor there. Yeah, and of course that opens up kind of its own can of worms. You hope there's not a lot of those, but I guess if you instrument things well, you can still deliver a lot more value and, and hopefully save a lot more time than those maybe occasional annoyances would add. And I think that's the fingers crossed that would be the, the trade-off of this technology over time. And hopefully at some point, as you guys sell what you sell, you won't have to work with 60-year-old equipment as some of these guys upgrade the stuff that they have. Final quick question, Cormac, across biotech, across manufacturing, across heavy industry, you're working in different spaces. My guess is this kind of IoT and AI in the enterprise is going to take off in some sectors more than others. And there might even be one where you really would expect the, the blossoming of AI and IoT to become a norm. Right now, it's not a norm. It's, it's kind of a hypothesis. And there's certainly areas of value. And I'm not going to say it's just an idea. I mean, it's, it's clearly delivering value in some areas. But like you said, very early days. At some point, it will become evident that this is a big deal. If you're going to put money on what sector is going to adopt this as such a norm that it becomes a big deal and acknowledged as such, where, where would you think that would happen? What, what is the pop-off area or sector? Yeah, I think it's in the area, and we touched on this a little earlier, where people have the most to lose and are currently losing the most. So if you look at the cost of machines going down in the manufacturing sector and the types of costs, and I won't go into all of them, but obviously there's the financial costs, but you've got a bunch of knock-on costs through you know stress on staff, stress on machines when they come back up, brand damage uh, as customers receive the knock-on effects, whether it's B2B or in the consumer space. There's, there's so much cost and money lost there each year, and there's now the combination of IoT and AI that can actually deliver really tangible solutions. So the problems before, and, and even... Currently, and all of the, the surveys you read about this stuff will confirm this, downtime is a real problem. People aren't on top of downtime. People don't really know what causes downtime. People really want to solve the problem. So yeah. there's a lot of incentive on the business side, and the solutions are actually completely possible. You know, it is possible to instrument machines. It is possible. And this is a really interesting angle. And we'll, we'll quickly run out of time, I'm sure. But it is possible to pull in external data, even if you just think about the weather, right? And the weather's yeah, impact yeah. On, on the heat. This is totally possible. You know, these, these things are now possible. They're possible at scale. They're possible at relatively low cost to implement. And you're doing analysis on time series data, basically. And that's so a painkiller. Not... That's a painkiller versus a vitamin, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. That's where we as a company and certainly where I personally think all of the action is going to be in the next few years. Manufacturing. Now, I'm just going to poke this idea one time. I've heard a very similar argument for transportation. 
if we have a boat that breaks down in the middle of the ocean, or if we have a train that Mm -hmm. breaks down on a track and it stops 20 other trains from running on time, or if we have a truck that's carrying some flammable fuel or something that breaks down, there's a transportation argument for the predictive maintenance side of the game. Are you kind of lumping those together or would you still put your money on manufacturing because it's more stationary or some other reason? Or do you think transportation is equal or or more so in terms of, of, of traction in the next five or 10 years? Do you have an opinion there between those two? Yeah, I think it's exactly what you said about manufacturing. The fact that it's stationary actually makes it a lot more feasible from an implementation perspective. You know, it's much it's much easier to iterate. The machines aren't moving away from you when the sensors fall off, right? You can just walk right back up to them and put the sensor back on. When you actually break it down into the, the practical steps of implementing one of these applications, manufacturing is uh, an easier problem to tackle right now. All right. Well, uh, Cormac, uh, listeners here, uh, for the listeners tuned in, Cormac is an experienced fellow in this domain, and we now know where he's putting his money. So interesting point to ponder, and I appreciate that little forward-thinking tidbit to this. I know we're right up on time, but Cormac, I sincerely appreciate you sharing your insights here on AI and industry. So thanks so much for being with us. It was my pleasure, Dan. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of AI and Industry. This is your host, Dan Fagella. I hope that we catch you next week. Many of our executive listeners often get great ideas from our podcasts or our newsletters, but they end up coming to us for more help. So they might see some research project that we did with the World Bank, and they might want to do some of their own research on deeper market opportunities for AI in a specific sector or understanding the growth rates of AI in a certain domain. Uh, They might have seen some AI business strategy work that we've done with a pharmaceutical company and maybe ask about things along those lines or see one of the presentations that we've given at the United Nations and ask if we can speak at an event. Uh, And while we certainly do these things. Uh, We're certainly involved with clients on pretty big projects on a regular basis. A lot of the time, these messages will just end up in my personal inbox. People will find my email or they'll just find me on LinkedIn and send along a message. And this ends up being actually pretty tough to juggle at this point, given the travel schedule and given all the, the client projects that we're involved in. And few people actually know, particularly people who only listen to the podcast and, and aren't on Emerge.com or on the newsletter, uh, don't know that we actually have a services page that lists what we can help with. So we are not the best at everything, but in terms of what we do, which is mapping the capability space of AI and conveying that to executives in ways that help them win in the market, specific services tailored to that can be found at emerj.com slash services. So here at Emerge Artificial Intelligence Research, we work with government departments, we work with public companies, uh, we work with organizations who are serious about making AI a competitive advantage. And again, we actually do list sort of the programs that we have. So many of the podcast listeners don't know this. These messages end up in my inbox and then I'm you know, traveling for two weeks and I feel really bad that I get back to people later, but you can reach us through that services page or simply send along an email at services at emerj.com services at emerj.com from there dylan or marcus or one of our team members will be able to get back to you much more quickly uh, than i would via linkedin so if you're interested in doing more with what you've learned here if you have serious business initiatives related to artificial intelligence and you want to take your organization to the next level just simply reach us at emerge.com services that's emerj.com services or just email services at emerge.com that's emerge with a j 
So thanks so much for tuning into this week's episode. Next week, again, we're going to be diving into AI use cases and trends and conveying the transferable lessons that you can bring to your organization. And I look forward to having you here next week. 